low-tech redneck. I have a dry erase board. Here we go. Um, Hebrews chapter number 4 is where we are. And by the way, uh, you know one of the things that makes grace grace, and this is by design, is man, there's so many people involved here. Uh, we, we say to our new members that grace is really like a multi-seat bicycle. Uh, we've got a lot of seats and we've got a lot of pedals and we need a lot of feet on the pedals. And we do have that. Uh, for example, uh, did you see the sound booth that we got this week, huh? Well, that's some of our folk who came up here and donated their time and expertise and money even. Uh, but those kind of folk just want to remain un unmentioned. But that's the type of folk we have behind the scenes here doing hard work. Now look, the implications of that is, not only does it help us clean some things up and get our, our streaming and things like that better and make our sound quality better, we've got sound guys coming to help us with that very soon, but it also helps us maximize our space because Easter is coming. And, you know, our goal is always uh, by Easter next year to be averaging in attendance what our high attendance was for Easter the previous year. And, you know, we're getting close to that. I mean, we really are. It's amazing what God is doing here. So, you know, you see things like this. You hear from these ladies and you see the impact of, of folk uh, on the kingdom and even Bible study. You know, this morning I was blessed. Brandon taught. And, man, we've got some high-quality Bible teachers here. Uh, so, you know, just a lot of folk with um, a lot on the ball here at Grace. And I want you to know we appreciate it and uh, you're, making a, you're making a difference. Now, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 is where we are today. So if you'll find your place with me in Hebrews chapter number 4, we're going to begin reading or I'm going to begin reading in verse number 11. And you, you, you remember what's going on here. Man, this writer is very structured. He's very systematic. And he's been talking about this subject of God's rest. So I, I, I want to put this up here for you and kind of help you see this maybe in a different light. God's rest. What in the world is he talking about? Well, he bases this off of what the Lord was intending to give ancient Israel that was in the land of Canaan. And that was what was considered their rest. They'd come from Egyptian slavery. They had made the trek through the wilderness and the land flowing with milk and honey was their rest. So when we think about God's best, we think about God's best for you in this life. This is what rest is. This is not rest in peace after there's a headstone uh, over your grave. This is not heaven, the sweet by and by conceive of and think of God's rest as God's best for you in this life. You know, God has a plan for your life, for my life. That's pretty cliche. But God's plan for us is better than what we would write and, and devise and orchestrate for ourselves. God is the all-knowing God. Uh, he knows where He wants us. He knows where He can use us. He knows where life will work for us. And that's kind of what God's rest is. So let's, let's look at this for a little while before I read this text because this is what this is all about. Remember in the Old Testament now, uh, he bases this New Testament concept of the rest for God's people today off this Old Testament model. 
And we said that in, in the Old Testament, their rest was in Canaan. In Canaan. In the New Testament, the parallel is in Christ. We rest in Christ. In the Old Testament, it was a physical place. In the New Testament, for us, it is a spiritual position. And that spiritual position is, again, in Christ. That's where we rest. That's where we find our rest. He's already won the battle. I mean, he's done the work. It's not about what we do. It's about what he has already done. But now, I want to go and define this a little bit more for us, and then I think we'll understand what it is this writer is trying to impress on us uh, in this particular section of Scripture. Let's just get down to practicality. What is God's best? Uh, I said God's rest. You can also put that God's best. Just change the first letter. What is God's rest or God's best? What does it look like for us today? Well, I think that's the place in life where we experience all benefits of the gospel. You stop and think about it. I mean, the benefits of the gospel are very attractive. But you know, the gospel is really not primarily about the benefits. It's about Him. It's about God. Uh, About our life being joined with His. But there are definite benefits to the gospel. All you have to do is, is read the gospels and you find, you know, the things that Jesus gives us. For instance, He says, My peace I give you. Uh, comfort, uh, security, uh, joy, all of these benefits of the gospel. I think that's what we experience when we get to that place in life that's God's best or God's rest for us. It's where we experience those. Here's what Paul says. Paul says that in Christ we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. But now there's a difference in being blessed with those and actually experiencing those, huh? So it's a place where we experience to the greatest degree all the benefits or the blessings of the gospel. Now there's other ways to describe uh, this rest or God's best for us and we'll dig this out maybe a little bit more in, um, in grace groups. I, I like to refer to it as this. It's just the sweet spot of life, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's where things work. And in that sweet spot, we experience to the less degree the downward pull of sin. Freedom. Freedom. It's where the downward pull of sin, say this, is minimized. It's minimized. But on the other hand, it's where the upward call of God is maximized. So you see where we are in this sweet spot in life. And here's the thing about that sweet spot. Again, this is not ultimate salvation going to heaven when you die. This is about that sweet spot in life, God's best or God's rest, being in the place that God made for you. 
You know, there's a whole lot more things we could say about this, uh, uh, about, uh, about this. And again, we'll flesh them out in Grace Group some this week about what your sweet spot looks like. But let's read this text now and see what this author has to say about God's rest now that we kind of got a good concept of, of what it is. So here we go. Begin with me uh, following along in verse number 11 of chapter 4. Therefore, and look, that therefore is based on the rest that he has just spent the last 10 verses talking about. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall. What is so that? It's a purpose clause. So we are diligent so that no one will fall. Now look at me. That word fall does not mean lose your salvation. We're not falling from salvation. Fall is kind of picks up a parallel where he talks about those people in ancient Israel who did not enter because of unbelief. He says their bodies fail. You hear that? See his parallelism? Their bodies fail, meaning they died outside of the place that God intended them to be. So he's talking about falling short of what God's best is for you and me missing what God's will is for me in this life. Now here's a good question for you. What do you think? Do you think we spend most of our time in the sweet spot or do we spend most of it in the wilderness? Let me ask you it another way. Think about all of God's people. Think about the church, not only grace, but think about all of the people of God in the state of Florida or southeastern United States. Do you think most of the people who have genuinely been born again are living God's best for them today? And I have to agree with you. Probably we'd have to say, no, we're not. We're not there. And man, how can we expect... By the way, you know, that's one of the marks of weak Christianity. Weak Christianity in a powerless church. When we're not living faithfully where God says we ought to be, experiencing all the benefits of the gospel in the sweet spot of life, where the downward pull of sin is minimized, where the upward call of Christ is maximized, why would a lost world want what we've got? Because we're no different from them. We're just as stressed out. We're just as frazzled. We're just as unfulfilled. We're just as unhappy. We're chasing everything that we can to try to make life better. When God says, that's not where it is, so probably so. That's probably why we're losing it in the U.S. because so many of God's people are not living in that place of God's rest or God's best. So check this out. I've got to finish reading this scripture today, don't I? Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience as those Israelites that he just got through talking about. Now verse number 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. 
Now those of you who know me know that probably my favorite subject to preach on in all the Bible is the Word of God. My favorite verse is Matthew chapter 4, verse number 4. For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So naturally, as Jerry pegged this morning, he said, I knew you were going to gravitate to that text about the Word. And it does. It's just like a magnet. It's my beacon call. But here's what I have struggled with all week. Verse 12 is not disconnected from verses 1 through 11. It's not just a standalone soliloquy on the nature of God's Word, which is how it's preached most of the time. So the challenge for the expositor, the challenge for the reader, the challenge for the interpreter is to figure out what this gifted, intelligent, bright, super smart author is saying when he connects verse 12 with verses 1 through 11. That's known as context. How does verse 12 build on the context of verses 1 through 11? So that's what our job is for today. So notice the subject that is before us. Here's my topic. The hard work of His rest. And notice where that comes from. Look with me in verse number 11 because that's what he says. Underline this word, diligent. Therefore let us be diligent. Other translations may say strive. Let us make every effort. And here's the idea. The effort is putting forth maximum energy. I call it hard work. Because hard work is just the story and the tagline, the hashtag of my life. You want to know what I've been doing this week? I've been doing hard work. That's exactly right. Building fence, logging, bulldozing. We've been doing something, but Ron, it's been hard work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so hard work. Yeah, that's it. And that's what this author is saying. He's saying the hard work of God's rest. And here's what he's trying to say to us. And notice how it seems paradoxical. He says, let us work hard to enter that rest. That doesn't. So we got to figure out what is it he's talking to. Oh, what is he talking about? And here's what he's talking about. Now you tell me if, if this doesn't describe your life more times than not because it does mine. The sweet spot. Hey, have you ever been there? Have you ever hit it? Let me ask you this. Did you stay there long? Why not? Somehow or another, somehow or another we stopped the hard work of staying there. Because it takes work to stay in that sweet spot. You see, there's always something to pull our mind away from what keeps us there. And what keeps us there is faith in what God said and walking by faith. And the downward pull of sin will sooner or later get us out of that sweet spot. Here it is, Dane. Man, when Heather and I were missionaries full time, and we had spent a significant amount of time in the jungle of Brazil... We would get down to Brazil and man things. It seems like everything works better. You know, there's no processed food. Everything is fresh. So we'd always weigh when we get there and then weigh when we leave six, seven months later. And, you know, we'd been done dropped 15 or 20 pounds and, and not even trying. But here's something else good about Brazil. Nobody has a watch. Time means nothing. A Brazilian might be a lot of things, but here's one thing he's not. He's not stressed out. Because no matter what happens, it's all right. Sometimes that stresses me out because I want them to get a little tense sometimes. Say, no, it's not going to be all right. We've got to do something about it. Listen, hakuna matata, no worries, no problems. 
It's all going to be all right. Somebody ought to write a song about that, huh? So look, Dane, I mean, you and Cheryl know what, you get down there and you get in that groove and man, your blood pressure goes down. Your anxiety level drops. No tension. No stress. It's the sweet spot of life. And I get on that big old jet airplane, I fly back home, and Heather and I sit in that seat and we say this to one another. This is so good. We can do this at home. Let's live like this in Florida or Alabama. All right, we're going to do it. So we get home and by golly, we're focused. I'm not picking up the worries. I'm not going to be stressed. I'm not going to be a slave to my wristwatch. You know, I even left it at home today. <laughs> y'all had stopped me at 12 or 1230 or 1, whenever y'all want to stop me. And uh, that lasts for about, usually about 10 days. And all of a sudden, I wake up one morning, my eyes are bugging out of my head, bloodshot, because I'm so stressed again. You see what I'm saying? I left the sweet spot. And it's like that spiritually. There's always something that causes us to get out of that sweet spot. That's why that writer says, work hard. Not just to enter, but work hard to stay there where God wants you to be, where life is good, where you enjoy me, where the joy level is high and the frustration level is low. All of those things. So he tells us to work hard to enter that rest. Now look, on the heels of verse number 11, he says this in verse number 12. For. You can also translate for as because. So he says, work hard because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. So here's what he's doing. Follow the context with me. He's telling us what we need to work at, what we need to focus on in order to stay in our sweet spot. Are you following me? So how is it that we use God's Word in order to stay in our sweet spot? That's what this writer's telling us. That's the connection between verse 12 and verse number 11. So here's what he says about the hard work of God's rest. He gives us two reasons or two ways that we can stay in the sweet spot once we get in the zone is another good way of describing it. How do you stay in that God zone in life? Well, the first thing he says here is maintaining God's best in this life requires constant attention to the Word of God. So, check out what he says now. He's going to give us four ways why the Word of God will help keep us in the sweet spot. By the way, let me stop right here and tell you that staying in the sweet spot, not only personally, but corporately for Grace Church, is a fight. It's a fight. Uh, man, when this thing was just fledgling, Dr. John and I and some of you, we used to talk about what our goals and how we wanted to structure and what we wanted Grace Church to be. And here's one of the things that we wanted it to be. We wanted Grace Church to be a church that cannot just survive but thrive in all climates, that means spiritual, political, economic, social, no matter what the climate is around us, we wanted Grace Church to be structured in such a way that she could thrive. Boy, COVID gave us a good glimpse of whether or not we were doing good. 
And son, we were very pleased. And that, that, you know, that every other, well, I don't say every other, but a lot of other churches, you know what happened to them in COVID? But you know what happened to Grace in COVID? Man, everything was up. It really was. And that's not by accident. It's the way we intended and the way we structured and the way we put things in place here. Another thing, we never wanted Grace Church to be a church that's built around one personality or a handful of people. We want Grace to be Grace. Hence, that's why you see folk involved up here, Haley and Becky and these guys building and everything, everybody that's involved. That's not by accident, that's by design. And you see, that's what makes us different from a traditionally structured and ordered and organized Southern Baptist Church. But now let me tell you why that's a fight to maintain that. Because I am a traditionally trained Southern Baptist pastor. You know what I mean? So I look at some of the things going on at Grace. For instance, do you know we have the highest first-time guest flow rate of any church I've ever been affiliated with? Do y'all know how many folk we have come through here and, and, and are guests with us at least one time? It's, it's amazing how many folk are coming to check us out. Now look, not all of them stay, and the reason being is because we're so different from what they're used to. And that's okay. We say all the time, if we're not the church for you, we will help, or we will even recommend a church for you. I mean, you've heard us say that on numerous occasions. So it's okay. But here's what I think sometimes in my quiet times when I'm by myself. I think, you know, that guest flow, we got to do something to shut the back door. And here's what I think. I think maybe if I didn't live in Troy, Alabama, and I lived in Bonifay, Florida, and I could really put energy into going after these first-time guests, and I could be on the road making two or three visits in home Monday through Friday and Saturday night, I bet by golly we could catch a lot of these guests and we could grow this thing tremendously. So I had this great idea of doing that one day and I was sharing it with one of my pastor friends that's been watching us from a distance for a long time and I shared it with him. He was not impressed. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he said, you go ahead and do that and you're going to turn Grace Church right back into a traditional Southern Baptist pastor-driven church. And I said, gosh, what a good word. You see, I fight against, I fight against that. And here I was about to let it happen. And you'll have to fight against whatever pulls you off the sweet spot too. As Grace Church, Dr. John, I tell you, we have to fight all the time that traditional pull of going back into what's comfortable because what we're doing is really not comfortable. So how do we fight that? Well, we fight it by giving constant attention to God's Word. Now here's what he says. He says, God's Word will help you in that battle, it'll help you stay in, in the middle of God's rest and God's best. And the first reason is because God's Word is invigorating. It's invigorating. Look what he says. And, and, and here's the way it comes through. Look in verse number 11. Uh, it says, uh, uh, verse number 12, For the Word of God is living. It's living. Now, in the original text, and I'm going to bring this up several times today, I'm going to break all rules because all... Folks say you're never supposed to talk about the original text. Stay with what you got. Don't talk about Greek, but y'all are smart. Y'all understand this. There's no verb there. It just says living Word of God. So it's almost as if he did, did that on purpose to connect that first word 
with what he's just been describing as God's rest. Hey, the sweet spot. You want to know what living is? Living is feasting on God's Word and giving attention to God's Word because it's so invigorating. When we get to that sweet spot, it's not our life that keeps us there. It's the vivacious, invigorating energy of the Word of God that just fills us. And that causes us to stay there. I mean, here's kind of what he's saying. You know, we're, we're prone to say this all the time. You know, we'll be doing something that's rather enjoyable and we'll kick back and say, now man, this is living. And you know what Apollos tells us? He says, no, that's not living. He says, what's living is the Word of God. Now look, I know he's talking about the fact that the Word of God is itself alive. It's not static. It's not dead principles. I know he's talking about that. But he's also talking about what it confers upon its readers when we give close attention. God's Word helps us stay in the sweet spot of life. And I think the illustration could be something like this. Man, imagine yourself right now sitting on the back of a big fishing boat. You're in the bay in Panama City. It's slick as glass. So y'all already there, ain't you? I'm going to have to break the hypnosis in a minute. <laughs> Look, you're sitting on the back of a brand new fishing boat on the back deck. The bay slick as glass. The sun is going down. The radio is playing softly in the background. Shrimp are sizzling on your barbecue grill. The smell of dinner is wafting through the air. You are sipping from an ice cold long neck bottle of IBC root beer. Y'all ain't in the same place I am. Wait a minute now. <laughs> Y'all in a different sweet spot. <laughs> but man, we could kick back right there and say, my goodness, this is living. And Apollos says, no, this is not living. As a matter of fact, this is what Apollos does. This is why I got my board up here today. Where's my eraser? Anybody got a magic eraser? Where is it? It's on the back. Look, this ain't high tech no more. I mean low-tech. This is, this is high-tech. That thing's stuck on the back back there. Thank you, Colin. Look, let me show you this now. Here's the word that he uses on purpose. He uses the word living. He uses this word. Dr. John, you ought to know this word well. You're a major. It's the Greek word zoe. Look, there's another word that he stays away from him, and it's this word. Say it, bios. Now, bios is translated life. Zoe is translated life. But listen, 100% of the time in the New Testament, when the writer's talking about eternal life, guess what it is? This over here, it's just natural life. It's what you have because you are living, breathing, you have a pulse. You are a biologic creature. But this is the type of life that comes from somewhere else. You see, this type of life comes from another realm. I mean, it does. I, we could just say this. This is, this is heavenly type of life. It comes from the ages. It's eternal. This type of life over here is what you have just because you're living in this world. 
Uh, this type of life over here is natural. This type of life over here you can say is either supernatural or you could say this type of life is spiritual. See what he's doing here? He's telling us that this type of life over here just comes from, man, sometimes it just comes from the flesh. But this life over here, where does it come from? How do we tap into this life? How does it flow through us and how does it invigorate us? Because it comes from right here. Watch me. You see why he's connecting these ideas now? Of rest and the Word? Why does he burst off into this great treatise of the nature of God's Word? Because there is a connection between God's Word and our rest. There's a connection between God's Word and us experiencing the reality of eternal life and the benefits of the Gospel and all of that type of stuff. Matter of fact, we can say this. We can say our rest is going to be congruent or equal with the amount of God's Word that we are taking in. Because there is no rest apart from the invigorating energy of God's Word. Following me? Alright, number next. Why does He connect God's Word with our rest, maintaining that sweet spot in life? Number one, because God's Word is invigorating. You see, then we're living His life. When we're filled with the Word, Brandon, let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you, synonymous with being filled with the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of life Himself. Man, we can stay in that sweet spot because we're doing it through His energy and His life. Now, number next segues right into it. How can you maintain that sweet spot in life by giving constant attention to God's Word? Because God's Word is invigorating. But number two, because God's Word is energizing. Look what he says. For the Word of God, and in the original there is no, there is no verb, for the Word of God living. And here's the next word he uses. Let me just put it up here. Now y'all, y'all are Greek scholars by now. What is that word? Where do we get it from? Say it out loud. That's right. That is where we get our English word energy. For the Word of God is not only living, but the Word of God is translated, most of our English versions, as active, but we could probably better translate it as energetic. Or God's Word is energy. You know, that's why hey, I had to make it a practice a long time ago that I'm not going to do any Greek exegesis at 9 o'clock at night. You know why? Because there's not enough, you're right, there's not enough Tylenol PM in my medicine cabinet to counteract how the Word of God pumps me up. I don't understand that. You know, some folk, God's Word puts them to sleep. But other folk, it pumps them up. Man, I get so energetic sometimes. Folks say, Pastor Richie, your preaching would be a whole lot better if we could just think that you believe what you're saying. (laughs) You know? I mean, can't you find a little energy, a little passion to bring to the pulpit with you, Preacher Richie? Well, look, man, you don't know how much I'm holding down up here. I mean, it's like holding back racehorses because God's Word just so pumps me up because it so fills me with energy that sometimes I feel like I need to be charismatic just take a lap around the sanctuary one time. Huh? I mean, Jerry, you know, yeah. (laughs) Like a bird dog, Jerry. You got to run the stupid out of them before they can hunt, you know? That's why I feel like I've got to burn off some energy and then I can preach. <laughs> then I can be calm, cool, collected, and preach as the professors told me I should. <laughs> Run off a little energy. God's Word 
is energy. So how can you fight the good fight to stay in the sweet spot? Because, son, you've got a, an endless supply of energy from the Word of God. Hey, listen, Jesus said, I'm come that you might have rest. Come unto me, and I'll give you rest. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Hey, he, he, he doesn't just give us rest. He gives us energy. You know where that energy comes from? comes right. What is this text about? It's about the Word of God. That's where it comes from. That's why at Grace Church we're so intent on, on teaching God's Word because that's the only thing that will get us to the sweet spot. That's the only thing that will keep us in the sweet spot Amen. is God's Word. All right, I've got to hurry. I don't have a watch on, man. I'm just going by my internal clock, Mark. You let me know. This floor may open up and swallow me here in a minute. Maintaining God's best in life requires constant attention to the Word because God's Word, number three, is invasive. It's invasive. Look what he says. Check this out. In verse number 12, For the Word of God is living. There's number one. The Word of God is energetic or active. And look at here. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. You see that? Piercing. There's that word piercing. You know what it does? Let me just put it in redneck terms for you. God's Word will invade your world and God's Word will get in your business. It just does. That's the way it... Only God's Word can do that. Nothing else has that ability. There's nothing, no heart so hard that God's Word can't pierce it. It will just invade your life. That's how God does it. Now, notice there's a couple of things here he says that I, I just love. Look what he says in verse number 12. He says, For it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Here's, what, here's the word that he uses. He says, It is hyper-sharp. He uses that word hyper, meaning it is ultimately sharp. If you can imagine the sharpest thing. Man, one time, back when I was a, a fireman, we had to go to the jail because a prisoner got out and he got hung in the razor wire. Son, you, you, don't even, you don't have to touch that stuff. You just get close to it and you'll start bleeding. You know what I mean? That is the sharpest stuff I think I've ever seen. I mean, it's just thinly, razor, sharp. But whatever you can imagine, the sharpest thing in this world is God's Word is hyper sharp. It's sharper than that. Look here, it cuts both ways. Huh? But why does it invade our world? And how does that help keep us in the sweet spot? Because here's what God's Word will do. It'll cut things out of your life that are dangerous that'll pull you out of that sweet spot. It'll do surgery. And He uses these medical terms coming up next. You can see that. So number one, it's invasive because it's razor sharp. And number two, it is radically precise. Look, things that we can't even, we can't even, we can't even identify the distinction between these things, and it makes a division between them. We're talking about cutting a fine, fine line is what God's Word does. Look with me in verse number 12. Sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. Now listen, you understand these terms, soul and spirit. Let's not go dichotomy or trichotomy right here. I don't think that's his, that's his purpose. What he's talking about is the immaterial part of you that makes you who you are. You ever thought about that? Here's a deep thought. Where is you? Where are you located? What makes you you? And it's not the flesh and bone. What makes you different? What gives you your personality? Where do you reside? 
And that's the immaterial part of us. And there is no way that you can put your finger on that. We can't identify where it is and, and all those things. But you know what? God's Word not only identifies where it is, it makes a division between them. It's how precise it is. God's Word's so precise and it's so invasive. Has God's Word ever got in your business and you're like, oh my God, how did, he, how did, how did he know? Huh? You, you ever listen to somebody preach or teach? Uh, like I listened to Brandon this morning, it's like, uh, uh. You know, instead of amen, it's oh me. How does that happen? Because God's Word is precise. Listen, our laser-guided missiles that we dropping down stovepipes are nothing compared to the target that God's Word can hit. It can find that spot in your life that's going to pull you out of that sweet spot and it'll shoot it. And it'll hit it. Because God's Word is precise. Number next, look, i got to hurry here. God's Word is, is, helps us stay in a sweet spot because it's invasive. But number next, notice what else he says in verse number 12. He says, it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word, you know, here's the thing. We do not know one another's motives, do we? We just can't. We just can't. But God's Word does. God's Word knows why you do what you do. Sometimes our motives aren't pure. But notice what he's saying here. He's saying that God's Word will keep us there because God's Word is introspective. That means it causes me to look at myself because sometimes I don't even know my own motives. Have you ever found out about yourself? Hey man, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can't even rein in my own heart sometimes. But God's Word can. And here's what God's Word does. Man, so many times... When we are under the influence of God's Word, we hear God's Word, here's what we're doing in our mind. We're thinking of everybody that we know that we wish was hearing this. Because huh? <laughs> that heathen needs to hear this. <laughs> but here's what happens when it gets quiet. <laughs> it's not about the heathen on my right or the heathen on my left. It's about the heathen that's living right here. <laughs> and God's Word will just diagnose me and I don't like what it says sometimes, Doc. I don't. I don't like what it said to me this morning in Sunday school. But it don't matter if I like it or not. Here's why God is wanting me to be introspective in light of His Word. So I don't live outside of the zone. His best and His rest. Number two, and I can finish this thing real quick. How is it that God's Word helps keep us in there? And what is the hard work of His rest? The hard work of His rest, number one, is constant attention to God's Word. Hey, don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. It's our resource. Hey, it is our sword. Did you know that? It really is. It's what will keep us in the sweet spot. But here we go with, with number next. First, maintaining God's best in this life requires constant attention to the Word of God. Now look how he turns that around. Maintaining God's best in this life requires complete inspection by the God of the Word. Notice how he puts these two together. Verse 12 is all about the Word of God. Verse 13 is all about the God of the Word. You see, they're inseparable. 
Look what he says in verse number 13. He says, And there is no creature hidden from His, that's God's sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him, that is God, with whom we have to do. So here's how we're going to stay there. By allowing God to examine it. Y'all remember that old hymn, Search me, O God, and know my heart, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. One day I'm going to be spiritual and pray that prayer. God, search me and let me know what wicked way is in my heart that's hindering my fellowship with you. And about 30 minutes later, I was saying, God, just a short list, please. Because <laughs> we ain't doing near as good. I ain't doing near as good as I think I am. Are you following me? And if we're going to stay in a sweet spot, we've got to be honest enough to let God inspect us. Now notice what he does here. Two things I want to say. Number one, God's best cannot be faked by our wardrobe. Can't be faked by our wardrobe. I remember when I was a firefighter in Gulfport, Mississippi, uh, our fire chief used to tell us, men, if you don't know what you're doing, at least dress like you do. And I found out that advice will take you pretty long, pretty, far, far, pretty good ways in life. They not, I, I, was, I was flying to Brazil one time with a boy, and he, got on the, he came and met me at the airport, and he had on tank top shorts and flip-flops. And that's, that's appropriate attire for Brazil. But here I was dressed like a businessman. He said, why are you dressed up? And I said, because folk just treat you better when you are. Am I right? They do. So you can fake it to a degree. You can dress up and fake it. But look, you cannot fake it with him with whom we have to do. Look at these words here. A couple words I want to point out to you and I'm done. In verse number 13. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open. See that word open? Here it is. Let me put it up here on the board. Now you guys are Greek scholars by now. Here's the word. Say it, Colin. Gymnasium. Gymnasium. That is the word from which we get our word gymnasium. Now look, you guys are going to remember this. I know. If you don't remember anything else about what I say today, you're going to remember this because I just know the way y'all think bunch of heathens. <laughs> the word gymna, here's what it means. It means naked. It means naked. Now that's the way we are before God. So your wardrobe, you can look as sharp as you want to and fake us off, fake me off, fake your co-workers off, but you are naked in front of God. Now the word gym, by the way, the, uh, how many of you like to go to gym? The word gym comes right from this word, and again, it means naked. You know why? Because in the ancient world, gym was literally the naked place because you went down there and you did your workouts naked. I mean, yeah. <laughs> We've got some lectures from Aristotle to his students talking about how not to laugh at people at the gym while they're naked because they look funny. Look, I'm not going to... Heather was trying to get me to go to gym. So I don't want to go to the gym with all my clothes on. Because there's always some guy in there that looks like Tony Atlas, you know. And he's walking around here and here. I come walking around with my little bird chest sunk in. <laughs> I'm intimidated to go to the gym with all my britches and shirts on. Dang sure don't want to go work out naked with Aristotle, huh? 
But that's what this word means. And he's showing us how foolish it is to try to fake it in front of God. Because before him, it's like being at the gym. We are, we are open and bare. Now look here. One of, one of the most worn out excuses I ever hear from folk about why they don't come to church is because... What? Don't have nothing to wear. Can I say to you, it don't matter what you're wearing because God sees you naked anyway. Huh? He sees right through all the stuff that we try to make folk think that we are. He sees right through it. And you see, that's why inspection before the Lord is so important for us to say it in a sweet spot. Number next, and I'm closed. Check this out. God's best cannot be faked by our wardrobe. And get this, God's best must be founded on the Word. Now let me show you this. I, I brought with me my Greek New Testament this week because this, this text has challenged me, the context of it. Following this author's thought has... Con I mean, it's just challenged me down to... Friday I told Heather I don't have a clue. But this verse right here is even more challenging because our English translations do not do it justice. Now, here's where I would make an F if my preaching professors were here, but I'm going to show y'all and then I'm done. Here's how this opens up. And y'all going to be able to tell me what it is. This verse number 12 opens up like this. Ha ah, logos. That means the word. Do you see the word in verse number 12? Now let me show you how this section closes in verse number 13. It closes ah, logos. You know what that is? When something opens with one word and closes with one word, what is it? Inclusio. So he's telling us something by the structure. Now this is the way it reads literally in the Greek. There is no verb. Here's the way it reads literally in the Greek text. Verse number, verse number 13. Ah, get, get, find my place here. Here's how it reads. It says, Towards whom we the word. Does that make any sense to you? It says, towards whom we, the word. The last two words in that are ha-logos. Here, here, here it is. Let me, let me transliterate it. Logos, the word. And here's what all of our English translators do. They make this word logos. They say, well, it probably has the meaning of logicon which is a good Pauline word, which means to reckon or give an account. That's why it smooths out like that. But it's not the word logicon, it's the word logos. So he says, with whom we have the word. So here's what, here's what this writer is telling us. He's telling us when God inspects us, when we are naked before Him, do you know what He's looking for in our lives? You got it. He's looking for the word. Here's what will keep you in the sweet spot. The only thing that will keep you in the sweet spot is building your life on the foundation of God's Word. The only thing that makes an eternal difference will allow you to experience the benefits of the gospel. To live in the zone is building your life on the Word of God. Eric read it this morning. If any man builds on this foundation and God is looking, hey, He's looking straight into our life. And He's looking 
for the Word. Because the Word of God is what will get you to the sweet spot and it will keep you in the sweet spot. And God knows, listen, that's where you want to be. Who in their right mind would say, I know God has something good for me, but I ain't interested in it. I know God has the best marked out for me, but I'd rather stay over here and live in the desert. Who would say that? Constant attention to the Word. Complete inspection by God. It'll keep me there, keep you there, It'll keep Grace Church there for our good and for His glory. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And God, we confess our finite minds can't even get around it because it is so infinite in nature. Sometimes the deadness in us just cannot comprehend the life that's in it. But God, I pray that you are going to help us as your people at Grace Church live in the rest that you've marked out for us, live within the boundaries of your best, and God, help us work hard to stay there by staying in your word. So I pray for those, God, today that are just not there and they know they need to be. God, could today be the day that you call them home? I pray today would be the day that we give up whatever it is that's keeping us out of that place that you've marked off for us. May we build our lives. May we act today in according with what your word would have us to do so that we can experience its benefits and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.